I'm Brian Adamek with Adamek Farms in Victoria, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas, agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. We've got another episode of Texas Ag Today ready to roll for you. So all you've got to do is jump on in with me and buckle up. We're going to take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, the Texas wheat harvest has been challenging this year, but there is some good news to be found. We'll have more on that coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Big news for the Texas High Plains as our region's two largest cities team up to win a lot of food production jobs. I'm James Hunt and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. On today's program, I'll sit down with the state's agriculture commissioner to talk about the highly successful Farm Fresh initiative focused on creating meaningful connections between Texas farmers, ranchers, and schools. I'm Tom Nicoletti and I'll have more just ahead on Texas Ag Today. Though Bermuda grass is expected to be a long-lived productive species, there are situations where stands begin to thin or totally die over time. We will discuss the possible reasons for declining Bermuda grass stands. I'm Dr. Vanessa Olson from Overton. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. Most of our coverage of the 2023 wheat crop has been negative. First, it was the drought that devastated wheat fields across the state. Then it was the dust storms, followed by recent hail and flooding. All of that led to about 70% of the Texas wheat crop to be abandoned. But with the wheat that is left, we're getting reports of a good crop. Scott Strawn is the county agent for Ockletree County in the northeast Texas panhandle. Some combines started running this last weekend in some areas of the county. Some areas it was still too wet. But the yield reports that are starting to come in are looking good. In fact, that's one thing promising is this irrigated wheat, what was being harvested, is going to be really good. Quentin Shieldnight farms in that same area of the panhandle, and he posted on social media that the first circle of irrigated wheat that he harvested was an all-time record for his farm. So at least there are some bright spots in what has been an overall tough year for Texas wheat. A Texas Tech vet school professor is studying how microRNA may boost the immune system of dairy calves. An assistant professor at Texas Tech's School of Veterinary Medicine has received a nearly $300,000 grant from the U.S. Department of Agriculture to continue her research on ways to improve immune responses in cattle. Fernanda Rosa, assistant professor of immunology at the vet school, will use the grant to explore how microRNAs may boost the immune system of neonatal calves. 
Rosa and her team are analyzing bovine milk for the presence of microRNAs involved in inflammation. They'll use those to enrich colostrum offered to dairy calves. Researchers have already seen a huge effect of microRNAs from bovine milk on immune responses in the lab. Rosa said finding out how to boost a calf's immune system and helping them fight off infection without antibiotics will make a huge impact for dairy and cattle owners. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. A summer cookout for 4th of July will cost consumers slightly less than last year's record prices, but significantly higher than two years ago, according to the American Farm Bureau's Market Basket Survey. The national average cost of a summer cookout for 10 people this year, $67.73. The survey included the costs of cheeseburgers, chicken breasts, pork chops, potato salad, strawberries, ice cream, and other products. Here in Texas, our costs will be about 6% less than the national average at $63.60. The two largest cities on the Texas High Plains have teamed up to win more jobs in food production. James Hunt has the story from Amarillo. It was great to get to work with Lubbock because obviously we compete with them on a daily basis for some projects, but it's awesome to be able to work together on a project that's going to be beneficial to both communities. That's Kevin Carter of the Amarillo Economic Development Corporation talking about the joint effort that resulted in Amarillo and Lubbock winning what looks to be a pretty big prize. A Florida-based company, Plant Agricultural Systems, has selected the two cities as sites where facilities will be built for the hydroponic production of tomatoes, leafy greens, and other produce. So how did the two cities wind up working together to bring plant agricultural systems to our area? Kevin Carter says it basically came down to meeting acreage requirements. What the company was looking for was a site of more than a thousand acres. Well, neither city had an individual site to offer that could meet that standard. But by proposing a 400-acre site in Amarillo and a 700-acre site in Lubbock, Carter says a winning combination was put together. And so they decided to go in both communities, which is great. Along with the land and other economic development incentives, Carter says a big plus our region offers to plant agricultural systems is a good geographic location for its operations. You look at the 500-mile radius circle, there's 17 million people live within that 500 miles of Amarillo, Texas. Now, if all goes according to plan, over the next decade or so, Plant Agricultural Systems will build and grow its operations to provide approximately 1,500 jobs in the Texas High Plains. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The Texas Department of Agriculture is working to expand the Farm Fresh Initiative. Tom Nicoletti visits with the Texas Commissioner of Agriculture about the program. My guest today is the Texas Commissioner of Agriculture, Sid Miller, and uh, Commissioner of the Farm Fresh Initiative uh, that uh, you folks have uh, going at the, the Texas Department of Agriculture is quite a program. Uh, explain uh, what you're uh, trying to accomplish with this program and what the program is. We operate this school lunch program, school breakfast program, five million school meals each day, so it's not a small operation. But I was disappointed to find out that our schools were, weren't serving any local products to our children. Everything was flash frozen, thawed out, and put on a plastic tray and quite frankly we had healthy trash cans instead of healthy kids so I came up with a program I started out kind of slow at least on Fridays I challenged the schools to serve something locally grown 
and on Fridays have Meet the Farmer Day. So that was the beginning of it. We've grown it since then. It's a voluntary program, so we have over 65% of our schools now participating in our Farm Fresh program. We've actually become the model for the rest of the United States. USDA is trying to replicate what we've done here in Texas and take it uh, nationwide. It's been very, very successful. Parents are demanding it. We just keep expanding it. It's been a huge success. 65% of the schools in Texas, about how many students are you reaching? That's going to be about 3 million school meals a day. We'll have some type of fresh Texas-grown product in it. Talk a little bit about the Farm Fresh Network that's part of this entire initiative. Well, we set up a, a summer conference. It's called MegaCon, and we bring in all the school nutritionists. Anybody has anything to do with preparing a meal, we have demonstrations to show them how to make those meals fun and exciting. We also bring in all the farmers that want to sell produce or, or their product. It could be meat or milk, too, in, into our schools, and we link those up, and it's kind of a clearinghouse where we connect everybody. That is Texas Agriculture Commissioner Sid Miller. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Bermuda grass can last in pastures for decades, but forage specialist Dr. Vanessa Olson says there are some cases where stands die out. Fertility is the number one cause of reduced productivity and stand loss. Nitrogen is important for forage production, but it is often the only nutrient applied. Don't forget about phosphorus and potassium. Both are critical for performance and persistence. Potassium is needed for forage, stolon, and rhizome production. It also improves tolerance to winter kill and some diseases such as bipolaris leaf spot. Phosphorus availability is reduced under low soil pH conditions. Many times the addition of limestone to increase soil pH to over 6 can be an important aspect of improving plant available phosphorus for Bermuda grass. Soil testing Bermuda grass fields to determine nutrient status and make appropriate corrections is critical. A heavy stocking rate places excessive grazing pressure on Bermuda grass stands. Both animal performance and plant vigor suffer. Low plant vigor reduces leaf area. This results in less capacity for photosynthesis and carbohydrate production. With reduced plant stored energy, metabolic functions are limited, and a smaller amount of carbohydrates are stored in the root system for winter. Cool season annual forages that are seeded into Bermuda grass stands provide additional productivity and nutrition in the fall and winter, but they must be removed in the spring prior to Bermuda grass breaking dormancy. If this is not done, Bermuda grass suffers by competing with the cool season annual for sunlight, moisture, and nutrients. In some cases, spraying with glyphosate while Bermuda grass is still dormant may be necessary to remove the cool season forage. Drought can be another cause of reduced productivity and stand loss. Not much can be done to control the weather, but following best management practices can minimize the impact of drought on Bermuda grass productivity. Invasive weeds and insect pests, such as grasshoppers or armyworms, need to be scouted for frequently and controlled as needed through management or pesticide application. When using pesticides, always follow labeled directions. This is Dr. Vanessa Olson with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension in Overton for Texas Ag Today. USDA is investing $500 million in wildlife conservation. I'm Jessica Dolmel and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today. And vaccination is important in dairy calves. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today.
Why do you listen? I listen to radio to stay up on news, weather, current events around the local community. It keeps me up to date with everything going on in the world. It kind of just takes my mind off of the drive, getting some relevant information that's in time. It's always nice to know what's going on. Okay, what can I do? I'll listen to the what's coming up and you can plan your day. Why do you listen? Go to whyilisten.com, tell us why you listen, and you have a chance to win $500. Visit whyilisten.com today. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Vaccination is important in dairy calves. Dr. Bob Judd has some tips on how to get the most out of calf vaccinations. Although vaccinations help decrease or prevent disease, good nutrition, adequate ventilation, sanitation, and overall good health management is required for good health. Dr. Grant Duell from Iowa State Extension indicates young pre-weaned calves require little in the way of vaccines. In fact, a suppression of immunization may exist for two to three weeks after calves are born that have received adequate transfer of antibodies from colostrum. Transfer of immunity from colostrum is critical for health of the calf, but Dr. Sandra Gooden from the University of Minnesota reported 14% of dairy calves fail to achieve transfer of immunity through colostrum. If your calves do not respond well to vaccination, it is usually a result of stress either from the environment, a disease, or nutritional imbalance. Even deficiencies of trace minerals like copper, zinc, and selenium can decrease their immune response. We also need to realize that vaccines take time to be effective. Vaccinating on day one and exposing the calf to a disease on day two will not allow this vaccine to be effective. Also, make sure if the vaccine you're using requires one or two doses, because if it requires two doses and you only give one, the vaccine will not be effective. However, Dr. Amelia Woolhams indicates that you only want to vaccinate for diseases that your calves will likely be exposed as the process of vaccination demands energy, vitamins, protein, and minerals to expand the immune response. As always, keep good records so you will know which calves had which vaccines, the trade name of the vaccine, lot number, and when the vaccines were given. Lastly, check with your bovine veterinarian about a vaccine program, as they are the specialist in your area. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. USDA is investing $500 million in wildlife conservation. Jessica Domo has the story in today's Wildlife Report. The U.S. Department of Agriculture is expanding its work on wildlife conservation. The department recently announced it is investing at least $500 million over the next five years to improve wildlife habitat through conservation of working farmlands. Undersecretary for Farm Production and Conservation Robert Bonney discussed working plans for wildlife with USDA Radio. This is an effort to build on some work that the Natural Resources Conservation Service has been doing for some time to work collaboratively with landowners across the country, most notably with the sage grouse in the West, to conserve working lands as a way to conserve those wildlife species. The $500 million will be directed to two existing USDA programs. Half will go to the Agricultural Conservation Easement Program. The other half will go to the Environmental Quality Incentives Program. 
the announcement was to commit $500 million of our Farm Bill conservation dollars over the coming five years for these cooperative, locally-led, incentive-based efforts to protect wildlife. And importantly, we've brought in the Farm Service Agency into the mix as well. They can utilize the Conservation Reserve Program, the Grasslands Reserve Program, to work with producers to conserve wildlife habitat, even as we support production agriculture. The investment will immediately benefit two of the working lands for wildlife's newest priorities. In the western U.S., at least $40 million will go toward ongoing efforts to help conserve migratory big game habitat. In 25 central and eastern U.S. states, an additional $14 million in new equip funding will be dedicated to the conservation of bobwhite quail and associated species. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. We saw some big moves in both the livestock and grain markets on Friday. We'll check out all of the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Why do you listen? Anytime I'm talking to a friend about new music and I don't know what it is, it's probably because they were listening to radio and I wasn't. I'm nosy. I like to know what's going on, and radio usually is right there telling me what and when is going on and where it's going on. Oh, listen in the barn, skill loader, tractor, then just about anywhere you can. When you put the lights on in the barn, the radio went on. Why do you listen? Go to whyilisten.com, tell us why you listen, and you have a chance to win $500. Visit whyilisten.com today. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. A big drop in the corn market Friday caused a big jump in the cattle market once again. We wrapped up the trading week Friday with sharply higher closes in both live and feeder cattle thanks to that big drop in corn. We'll start with live cattle where the nearby June contract went off the board Friday at an all-time high. It was up a buck seventy-five. It went off the board at a record one eighty-one fifty. August contract up two sixty-seven at one seventy-seven seventeen. October live cattle up a dollar eighty-seven one seventy-nine fifty-five. Now look at these feeder cattle closes. August feeders jumped five twenty on Friday, closing at two forty-seven fifty-seven. September feeders up five oh two two fifty eighty-two. The October up four seventy at two fifty-two fifty-two. Cash fed cattle selling for one seventy-eight in Texas this past week. That is one to two dollars lower compared to the previous week. Packers were out trying to get more cattle on Friday morning. They had bids out there at 179. Boxed beef prices were lower Friday. Choice down 16 cents, 327.89. Select down a dollar 64 at 295.54. Now let's check those auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. Jim Wheeler, Atascosa Livestock, sells on Tuesday. Jim, how was the sale? Uh, market's still very good. Uh, still had 208 on a Packer cow. Numbers were short. It's been pretty hot down here, though. Yeah. yeah. 100 and, 105 to 789 every day. Yeah. So I think that's limiting the cow working around here. It sure is. No fun for man or beast. Let's walk the pins. All right, 284 head there Tuesday, 121 were steers, 86 heifers, 61 cows, and 7 bulls. Steer side, 2 to 3 weights, 220 to $3. 
heifers were 220 to 270. Uh, three to four weight steers, 220 to 272. Heifers were 210 to 255. Four to five weight steers, 205 to 260. Heifers were $1.90 to 235. Five, six weight steers, $1.80 to 240. Heifers were $1.75 to 225. Six, seven weight steers, $1.60 to 220. Heifers were $1.50 to 215. Seven, eight weight steers, $1.55 to $1.90. Heifers were $1.40 to $1.80. Eight to nine weight steers, $1.35 to $1.80. And the heifers were $1.25 to $1.65 there, too. What did they have on cows Tuesday? It was two oh eight. Best Packer cow brought a dollar three and a half. Best bull brought a dollar twenty five. Had a few bred cows in the mix. They brought six hundred to thirteen fifty. And we had three or four pairs we kept together. They brought from thirteen fifty to sixteen fifty. What do you now we won't have any sales next week, will we? No, sir. Tuesday is the fourth. We will be closed. Well, tell everybody how to get a hold of you for that next sale after the fourth of July. Reach us at 830-569-2516. Jim, I appreciate it. We'll talk to you later. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Neighbor, thank you, too, for listening to Walking the Pins here on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. My name's Larry Marble. I put it together, and I'm doing so today for Texas Ag Today. Back over to the futures market now. We're lean hogs finished slightly higher Friday. July hogs up 20 cents, 95.65. August up 27 at 92.60. Class 3 milk was mixed. July milk up 8 cents, closing at 14.17 100 weights. Nice gains in the cotton market Friday. USDA released their planted acreage report Friday morning, and it was neutral to positive for the cotton market. We also had a higher stock market and a lower dollar, so that helped prices as well. October cotton gained 237 points to close at 81.58. December cotton up 134 at 80. 37. Now, we mentioned the corn market earlier. Big drop in the corn market following the USDA acreage report. They showed planted acreage this year of 94.1 million acres of corn, much higher than we were expected, and that's the largest planted acreage since 2013. So that caused corn prices to crash. July corn down 26.5, and a half. September corn dropped 35 cents to close at 488.5, and a half. With December corn down 33 and three quarters, 494 and three quarters. Wheat market was mixed. July Kansas City wheat up seven, 801 and a quarter. July Chicago wheat down 16 and three quarters, 636 and a quarter. In the energy markets, August natural gas up eight cents at 279. August West Texas crude up 74 at 7060 a barrel. The financial markets higher Friday afternoon. The Dow up 323 points, 34,445. The Nasdaq up 212 at 13,802. The S&P up 58 at 4,455. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you back here next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the U.S. of A., Texas agriculture. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.